Amen. Amen. So we've been going through the We Believe series and the things that we believe as a church. And I've, I've really enjoyed this series. Today we have two more. Uh, we believe in the Lord's Supper and we believe in baptism. Uh, baptism when we dunk you in the water. And the Lord's Supper when we take the cracker and the Welch's grape juice. So I'm going to talk a little bit deeper than um, we've gone before in the areas of baptism and communion. And I think you're going to enjoy it. But before we go any further, I thought it would be good for us to actually read what we believe. So if you would read this with me. We believe that water baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, according to the command of our Lord, is a blessed outward sign of an inward work, a beautiful and solemn emblem reminding us that even as our Lord died upon the cross of Calvary, so we reckon ourselves now dead, indeed unto sin, and the old nature nailed to the tree with him, and that even as he was taken down from the tree and buried, so we are buried with him by baptism unto death. That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. We believe in observing the Lord's Supper by the sacred use of the broken bread, a precious type of the bread of life, Jesus Christ, whose body was broken for us, and by the juice of the wine. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I said wine. Wine is cool. I mean, whatever. But let's try it again. And by the juice of the vine, a blessed type which should ever remind the participant of the shed blood of the Savior, who is the true vine of which his children are the branches, that this ordinance is a glorious rainbow that spans the gulf of years between Calvary and the coming of the Lord, when in the Father's kingdom he will partake anew with his children and that the serving and receiving of this blessed sacrament should be ever preceded by the most solemn, heart-searching, self-examination, forgiveness, and love toward all men, that none partake unworthily and drink condemnation to his soul. So two main issues there. Talking about baptism and communion. With a show of hands, how many of you have ever been baptized? Absolutely. How many of you have ever received communion? All right. So most hands raised. And the reality is, growing up in the church, you know, I've been familiar with, seen, experienced myself, water baptism and communion uh, my whole life. And they're important parts of the Christian walk. And we believe that they're ordinances that Jesus has commanded us to do. Everyone who professes Lord uh, Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you are to get baptized and you are to receive the Lord's Supper. But if you're like me, I question everything. So what do those things really mean? And maybe you've been in church your entire life. Maybe you've just been a Christian for a couple of days. But if we're honest, many of us, we actually don't know why we do these things, right? We don't know why we take the plunge. We don't know why we eat the cracker and drink the Welch's grape juice. So today, I think the Lord, he, he truly wants to speak to us. He wants to remind us, even liven it up, and just to get a fresh perspective. Uh, once again, that these would not just be dead ceremonies that we do, but an alive communion with God where we'd be reminded of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. So it's going to be good. We're going to start with water baptism. And just to bring clarity into water baptism, I have to say this at the very beginning. I want you to know that becoming a Christian includes repenting and it includes being baptized. 
uh, in churches these days. Some of the new trends are one that you don't have to repent to be a Christian, that repenting is not necessary, that you can just come to God and, and the love and the goodness and all those things. And you don't have to repent. Well, you have to repent. The scripture tells us very clearly that you repent of your ways. You turn from your wicked ways and you turn to the Lord. And as, as well with baptism, that's kind of a fad that some people are saying, well, come on, it's not really uh, relevant to 2015. It's awkward. It was more of something they did back in the day, but it doesn't fit into our new society. When I read the scriptures, it tells you clearly you got to get baptized. So we are going to be following both of those ordinances here at this church. It's very important. And I I would say I'd even be so bold to say that as a church, we are actually being disobedient to the Bible's call to evangelism if we do not practice Baptism. Remember Jesus, the Great Commission. We, we read the Great Commission all the time here at the church. And he says, go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Remember in the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Peter, he gives this amazing sermon, right? Probably the first sermon of the church. And at the end of the sermon, the people are actually hearing him. Like, wow, like you really cut us you know, deep to our hearts. Like, what, what do we need to do, Peter? And he tells them two things. He says, repent. And he says, hopefully you can guess what it might be. Repent and be baptized. So I want that to be very clear this morning. Now again, baptism at its most basic level, when you remove it from the context of what it means for a believer to be baptized, baptism is actually quite absurd. I mean, honestly absurd. If I took Colby or Bree, I'd say, hey, Colby, I, I want to actually take you out and there's this little you know, pond over here and I want you to, in your clothes, I'm just going to take you over there and I'm going to put you in the water. But I'm going to put you all the way in the water and I'm going to hold you down for a little bit. But don't worry, then I'm going to take you back up. Come on, Colby, let's go. Like, that would be ridiculous. That would be weird if it was on YouTube. Everyone would comment how insane that is. Like, it doesn't make sense. But... In the context of the scriptures and in the context of Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus, I'm telling you, the absurdity of baptism goes right out the window. When you start to discover who Jesus is and you listen to his commands, it makes perfect sense to be baptized. Like I said, when you get baptized, you're laid in that water. Water is a big deal in 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 the uh, Bible. I, I didn't look this up and, and Randy, you're probably disappointed in this, but I didn't look this up. Other people have looked this up that 722 times water is, bapt- is mentioned in the Bible. 722 times. I don't know who did that, but somebody f- figured that out. 722 times. So water matters. In the Old Testament, there was water before there was anything else. That is what Genesis tells us. And in fact, if we could put that verse up to the screen, it says the earth was formless and empty. This imagery is just amazing. And darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The salvation for Noah and his family, it was through the waters of the ark. That's what Peter tells us when he's talking about Noah and the ark. He says in it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. The deliverance of Israel out of slavery from Egypt. Remember, there's a huge body of water. You remember what the body of water that was called? What it was called? The Red Sea, right? What did it do? (laughs) Right? Yeah, it split. A huge, huge emphasis on water in the Bible. We read about ritual cleansing. This last week, we were in our daily reading plans, and we were in uh, one book for a really long time from the Old Testament. If anyone was doing their reading plan this week, you would know which book that was. What book of the Old Testament were we in this week? Starts with an N. Pastor Dan? Numbers. You're right. Good job. We were in Numbers. And in Numbers, if you remember, the priest had to wash himself 
and he washed himself and he washed his clothes with water after the heifer was sacrificed. If anyone touched a dead body or a human corpse, they had to wash themselves with water on the third day and on the seventh day after touching the body. Aaron and his sons, they went through a washing before they entered the tent of meetings or approached the altar. In Psalm 51.7, it's a psalm of David. David writes this psalm after committing adultery with Bathsheba. And we've, we use this Christian phrase, but often we don't know where this Christian phrase comes from. Whiter than snow. But in 51.7, David cries to the Lord. He says, wash me. And I will be what? Whiter than snow. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. If you remember John the Baptist, he was called John the Baptist, not because he was a part of the Baptist denomination, but because he actually baptized people. And John's baptism, Mark tells us, was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which repaired his fellow Jews by cleansing them. It made them, uh, prepared them for the coming of God's rule in Jesus. So water, cleansing, washing with the water, it's found again and again leading up to the ministry of Jesus. But then Jesus steps onto the scene. If you remember his public ministry, it starts with water. It was this voluntary submission to the baptism of John. Matthew 3 says, to fulfill all righteousness, he gets baptized. And then he lives his life, his death, his resurrection. After the resurrection, I already said it, but I'd like to read it together. It's the Great Commission. This is what Jesus commands his disciples, and he commands every one of us as believers. He says, say it with me, go... Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. So he gives us this command. And then as you read the New Testament, this is a absurd idea, but as you read the New Testament and actually look at what the early disciples and early Christians did, they actually obeyed the commands of Jesus. And so in the Bible, you see the disciples going and baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's exciting. On the day of Pentecost, like I already read and already mentioned, following this proclamation of the gospel, those who desire to become Christians, they ask Peter and they ask their disciples, their, their apostles, men, brothers, what do we do? Peter replied, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you too shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the beginning of Acts. That's chapter 2 of Acts. You continue to read that book, you're going to find several detailed conversion stories. And in those stories, those who believed they were baptized. Anyone remember who Philip baptized? The Ethiopian eunuch, you bet. Absolutely. Apostle Paul. He, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And then he converts to Christianity. And what happens right after he converts to Christianity? He is He's baptized, you bet. Cornelius and his entire household, they are baptized. Paul and Silas, this is one of my favorite ones, they're in prison. And when they're in prison, there's this violent earthquake. The ground shakes, the doors open, the chains fall off. The jailer's ready to kill himself, right? Because he has failed his job. But they go, don't worry. Uh, you know, and they just start talking to him about Jesus. The jailer uh, brings Paul to his family. The jailer and his family, they all accept Christ and they are baptized. They're baptized. And so in Acts, throughout the New Testament, you see these examples of baptism for people who become Christ followers. Paul goes into some detail in his letter in the uh, book, book of Romans. He explains that our deliverance from the penalty of sin is accomplished through faith in the blood of Jesus. Our deliverance from the power of sin is made possible by our inclusion in the death and resurrection of Jesus in order to put the body of sin 
out of operation and to receive the gift of a new spirit. Now, this inclusion in the death and resurrection of Jesus, it is accomplished by putting God putting us. Listen to this. By God putting us in Christ, we are put in Christ. And you see this model of us being put in Christ in water baptism. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter six. Again, he says, what shall we say then? This is Paul. He says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore, listen to this, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. Being lowered into a watery grave. We're burying our old life. And then being raised in the newness of life. Cameron or, or Colby, I actually would bring you out of the water eventually. As fun as that would be. But you, you bring them out of the water. Raised into new life. A new creation by the power of the Spirit. Colossians, listen to this. This is a good scripture in, in regards to baptism. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And, and with Him you were raised to new life. Because you trusted the mighty power of God. The mighty power of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's huge. It's huge. Our sins are washed away. Pharaoh's army, they've been drowned by the seas. The water has washed us clean. I, I like to think of it this way. In baptism, there has been set a rock of remembrance established for us against the accusations of the enemy, an external and eternal rock of remembrance where we can shout and declare the promise of Jesus from Mark, uh, I think it's Mark 16, 16, where he said, if you are baptized, if you believe in me and you're baptized, then you are saved. And when we do that, we say, you know what? I'm a follower. I repented. I believed in the name of Jesus and I was baptized. No one is going to take that away from me, not even the devil himself. I've been saved. I've been rescued. I've been delivered. I've given New, I have been given new life. I mean, for me, I mean, do you remember what it was like when you got baptized? And think about it. When you got baptized, do you remember what it was like? I, I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember, but I was baptized when I was 18. And I'm telling you, the devil, he was fighting with me the night before. I mean, he was just trying, he was accusing me. He was telling me lies. He was, he was doing everything he could to keep me from getting baptized. And, and I came into my parents' house, in my parents' bedroom. I was just devastated. I remember as clear as day, I was sobbing in my parents' bedroom, saying, I am not worthy to be baptized. Uh, my good friend Scott Harden, who sometimes plays bass for us, he was down at the time at a Life Pacific College in Bible College. And, and I'm like, I'm not like Scott. Scott has it all together. Scott is living for the Lord. I, how can I get baptized? I am not worthy of baptism. I should not get baptized. And my parents, they're able to bring me in to their bedroom, sit me down at the bed and say, Dan, it isn't about you being worthy. It's not about you being worthy. It's about Christ in you, the hope of glory being worthy. And in baptism, you declare to the world that Christ, He's worthy. And Christ has made you righteous. Christ has washed you clean by His death and His resurrection. I'm telling you, that next day at Lake Wilderness over in Maple Valley, it had a huge, profound effect on me. A lot of times when people get baptized, this is great. You don't want water to go up your nose, but you kind of do this thing. I'm telling you, I was just like this. And there's a picture of me coming out of that water, just water soaked all over me and my hands raised. It was a profound moment for me. In fact, I have a tough time describing that moment in words. Anyone else kind of struggle with that when you think about when you were baptized? It, it's hard to explain 
what really happens when you are baptized. And I fumble with my words, but this is kind of the best way um, I would describe it. And, and it's just the way my brain works. But for me, it's kind of like a spiritual tattoo. Uh, what I'd say is that that day I was marked. Marked by God. It's a rock of remembrance. See, after that day, there was no wavering for me whether I'd follow Jesus or not. There was no doubt of whether I was going to be a Christian or not. I mean, sure, I still had questions. Still, there were things I struggled with and wrestled with. But I'm telling you, after that moment, even my questions, my doubts, the things I wrestled with, I wrestled with all of them on the side of faith. I was never going back. I was never going back. And and, and it's hard for me to sometimes describe what happened, but I think the Apostle Paul does a pretty good job. So listen to this. Galatians chapter 3.27. I love this verse. He says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Just the idea of putting Christ on and being hid in Christ. So I guess you could say I got a new wardrobe, right? There's just no turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow, right? Christ was in me and I was in Christ. I had Christ all over me and I wanted the whole world to know. Do you remember what that was like when you were baptized? That's baptism, by the way. It's when you want the whole world to know. When you declare to the world, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Bob Dylan says, you got to serve somebody. And if I'm going to serve somebody, then I'm serving Christ. And our baptism, it shouts, it declares the repentance, the turning. When, in my life, I just think about what that represented. It represented a turning in my life, a repentance from my evil ways, saying, God, I am declaring my faith, my obedience, and my submission to you. And on God's, on God's part, God's, from God's side of it all, baptism reminds us of His faithfulness. It reminds us of His forgiveness, of His grace, of His mercy, and of the cleansing. Yes, the cleansing that He did for our past. But beautiful thing, church, is it's a cleansing that's for today as well. And also a cleansing that is for our tomorrows. All by the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that is now residing within us. So it's extremely important. Baptism. I, I, did, I really want us to get there, right? That it's more than a ritual. It's more than just this churchy thing you do. There's a significance to it. But I also want to be clear that it's not a magic potion. And I might push you a little bit on this. I don't want to offend anybody. But this is as straight and clear as I can say it. Just because you've been baptized doesn't mean you're a Christian. Baptism alone doesn't save you. If you're a sinner who keeps on sinning, you don't believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and I happen to dunk you, that means nothing other than the fact that I just got you wet. Right? Nothing. There's no power in that. You need to hear that. I've had so many people come up to me and say, Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I was baptized back in the day. I'm going to heaven. I'm good. I'm just here to tell you. And again, this is before you and God, but I'm just here to tell you That if your life is not showing the fruit of that, and there's no sign of your faith, I don't care how many times you jump in the pool, you're not saved. Some of you need to hear that this morning. We are not saved merely by being baptized. How are we saved? Ephesians 2.8 says it well. Put it up on the screen. Say this with me. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. So baptism in itself does not save. If that's the ticket that you've been holding on to get to heaven, it is void and null and it's counterfeit. It will not work. 
It is always and it will always be salvation by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what scripture tells us. Grace through faith. And then with that, this is the beauty of baptism. With that, we find in scriptures that baptism has an appropriate and important part to play. Those who are saved, those who turn to God, those who repent and turn to God, repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus, you, you get baptized. That's what you do. Acts 2.38, I've already read it twice. I want to read it a third time. This is so important. This is Peter talking. Each of you, that includes us, each of you, you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of the Father or in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, no one here at the church is going to make you get baptized. You choose to get baptized. No one else is going to do it for you. I'm not going to get baptized in your place. Also, no one's going to force you to get baptized. It is a choice that you make. This is one of the reasons we don't do infant baptisms. You better believe I'm going to dedicate a baby to the Lord. What a precious and beautiful gift from God. And we dedicate him back or dedicate her back to the Lord. But we're not going to baptize an infant because the Bible clearly shows that baptism is for those who come to a personal faith in Jesus Christ, who are able to make that conscious, informed choice for baptism. So when we baptize you at LifeSpring, what we're doing is we're just supporting you. We're encouraging you. We're affirming your decision, your choice, and your obedience to the call of God and the call of Jesus Christ on your life. I want, you, I want to make that clear. It is a decision and choice that you are making. And because of this, this kind of leads to um, many people, uh, maybe you've been baptized before as an infant, or maybe you were even baptized as an adult, but you decide you want to get baptized again because you have decided that regardless of what my life was, I want the whole world to know what my life is. And my life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And maybe you need to take a stand. It's happened so many times in this church. Do you remember our last baptism at the end of the second service? I mean, I'm ready to go to Ranchitos, right? We're singing the last song. And Aaliyah Fox comes down, whispers in my eyes. She's like, in my ear, she goes, I want to get baptized, Pastor Dan. I was like, yes, you do that. Oh, I'm freaking out. I'm so excited. And we, I run back there. I'm like, we have another baptism. And Randy gets his stuff and he goes in the pool. Like, we're so excited. Nothing was like that because it was a person, a human being whom God made before the foundations of this world, who he loves, who he died for, who said, I want to take a stand for Jesus Christ. Do you, I mean, are you kidding me? There's nothing more exciting than that. And so for some people, maybe you've even been baptized before, but you know you're not walking with the Lord and the Lord just confirms it in your heart that you need to be baptized. You want the whole world to know I am a follower of Jesus. I have decided to follow him. Though none go with me, still I will follow. There's no turning back. By the way, when we baptize you, we baptizo you, which means we submerge you all the way in. I don't know if you were here. It's kind of embarrassing, but I, I did it, so whatever. Um, Nathan Hudson was over here, and Nick is trying to baptize him. And Nathan, you could tell he kind of didn't want to get his face uh, wet. And so I kind of went over here, grabbed him, and went, Phew, boom, and I went WWE style on him. You know, splash zone in the first two rows. Um, you know, who knows if that was the right thing to do. This is why I did it, because I just love the imagery that you are dead, dead, but Christ didn't stay in the grave. He rose again. And when He rose again, you rise again. And you rise again in new life. In new life in Christ. There's just the excitement of that. I do want to say this, though. If His head wouldn't have been covered, 
he still would have been baptized. God is so much more concerned about our heart. God is for us, not against us. It is a heart thing much more than, you know, the level of, you know, wet ratio to clothes ratio. It, 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 you know, I put it this way. If you were in prison and you were sentenced to die and, and you knew that you're going to be taking your final breath soon, but you came to know Christ and you wanted to get baptized and your cellmate wanted to baptize you, you know. I mean, hopefully we all understand that even if you had a cup of water, even a drop of water, and you put that on that person's head, that that person is baptized. Baptized. When, when you make that commitment to the Lord and you want the world to know, um, it's not about, you know, sometimes we really stress um, about, you know, how much, you know, you get in. It's, we just want to dunk you. And we'll dunk you with whatever we got. If all we got is a drop of water, we're going to dump that drop of water all over you. And spiritually, it's just going to come all over your body, right? We're just dunking you. It's a heart condition. And by the way, I want to be bold with you as well. I want every single person in this room to be baptized. I'm never going to make you. I'm never going to force you. But I want to see every person get baptized. In fact, I put a, a sign in the back and I, I just wrote, I want to get baptized. And there's two markers there. No one's signed up yet. We actually do have three people signed up for a baptism, March 22nd. But if you want to be included to that list, as sloppy and as aggressive and as big as you can, just write with a marker on that poster your name and just declare to the world, I am a follower of Jesus. No turning back. I have decided to follow him. So I just encourage you, we have some markers. Write your name on there at the end of service. So there's baptism. And again, two weeks, we're going to you know, do some baptism here. It's going to be great. Uh, the Lord's Supper. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, it was introduced by Jesus at the, uh, at the Last Supper. And then he kind of... Uh, Kind of been something we've been doing forever since then. And I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, 17 years in the Presbyterian Church. And I'm just telling you, baptism or communion, it was just kind of a thing you did at church, right? Right? I mean, you don't want to admit that as a person, but that's just kind of how it came for me. It's the part of the service where you have a little cracker, you have a little juice. To be honest, as a kid, I was really disappointed in the portions. I felt like Jesus' body was really small and his blood was really small. I mean, kind of... Couldn't we go a little deeper? But I was thankful to Christ that he gave the commandment to take the, the little circle wafer first and then wash it down with the juice. I felt like that order really helped all of us out so that we weren't thirsty after taking communion. So we had that going for us. But I always just, I don't know, it was just something that you did. And it was a high, you know, high church, you know, really churchy and religious. And it just was one of the gigs that you did. But hopefully that never happens here at LifeSpring. It, there's always going to be that temptation because you guys know this, this is pretty religious sounding, by the way. At LifeSpring, we do communion once a month and we do it the first Sunday of every month. And it, right. It's just very religious. And, and, and when we normally do it after worship, you know, so that's a, the communion time slot. And uh, we, we pass the trays and, you know, it, we just kind of get into the ritual of it all. And I don't want that to be, right? And none of us do. We, as Christians, we don't want it to just be mere ritual. None of us, if, if you're going to Lifespring because you like churchy church stuff, I mean, it, there's better churches for that, right? Um, no, we want to have a live, fresh experience with the Lord. He says, this is his commandment, 1 Corinthians 11, take, eat, this is my body broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. We want that to be more than a ritual. We want that to be a powerful moment with the Lord. You're actually going to see a prefigurement of this in the Old Testament of all the commands that Jesus gives us with the Last Supper. The big one is the Feast of the Passover. 
Maybe you've heard that before Passover. It was and it still is a celebration, an important festival for the Jews. Uh, why are they celebrating? They're celebrating that deliverance from Egypt. If you remember, ten plagues, devastating plagues uh, when they were slaves in Egypt. And the last one was that death of every firstborn child. And, and before that plague, God commanded Moses. He said, Moses, I want you to tell the Israelites to mark the lamb's blood above their doors. And on their houses and the lamb's blood, if it's on it, the Lord will pass over these homes, sparing the lives of the firstborns who live there. And after that tenth and devastating plague, we know that Pharaoh agrees to let God's people go. Well, they celebrate this moment. This is a huge moment for for the Jews. And they celebrate the Passover. And, and in this celebration, they both recall, but they also relive the Lord's salvation of bringing his people out of slavery. And so during this time, they take the unleavened bread, the matzah, and, and they and they repeat a form of Deuteronomy 16.3 where they take the bread. And they say, this is the bread of affliction. And uh, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate when they came out of Egypt. And then they'd remember the story of Exodus. And there's a lot more detail in Passover. I don't have time to go into all the Passover feast, but for today's discussion, I, I want us to make a connection here that the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples, uh, where he takes the bread, where he takes the, way and says, the wine and says, do this in remembrance of me, it's actually during Passover. Wow, right? Because then the significance of the Passover meal is that they're remembering the Jews' freedom from Egypt, the Lord's Supper is to remember the freedom that Jesus has given us from sin. It's extremely powerful. In fact, we see this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So when he's at this Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, this is my body, right? This bread is my body, and this cup is my blood. And he says it's a new covenant. Have you ever wondered what that meant, the new covenant? Have you ever wondered when the really churchy church person says that we're under the new covenant? Well, he's referencing the prophet Jeremiah. And the prophet Jeremiah, this is Old Testament, so that we're going way back in the day. This is what he says. The days are coming, declares the Lord. This is Jeremiah uh, prophesying. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Say, new covenant. A new covenant with my people of Israel. This is powerful stuff in the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. What I was just talking about. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. This is for us, church. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one, one another, know the Lord. Why? Because they will know me. <laughs> From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins. No more. A new covenant. And Jesus is standing there before his disciples. He stands before us and says, with this blood, it's a new covenant. And he commands us to receive his blood, receive his body. A new cup, a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. It's more than a ritual, isn't it? Oh, man. Forgive me, Father, for what I've made it. And I, as we conclude today, I just want to take it a little bit further. I want to share, I believe, five truths that are displayed in the receiving of communion. We'll go through these quickly. Number one, if you have notes, you'll want to write these down. Communion is a celebration. 
celebration of triumph and blessing. Humility, repentance, reverence, those will always be appropriate when you're at the Lord's table. But I want to encourage you this morning. Emily Faber talked about this a couple of months ago and I loved it. That it is also appropriate to come in with an attitude of celebration and an attitude of thanksgiving. What does it truly look like when you remember Jesus and the abundant life, the freedom that he has given us by his sacrifice? We eat and we drink with thanksgiving, right? As Christians, when we think about Jesus, there's a gratitude in our hearts, a thanksgiving in our hearts. In communion, we remember the Father's love for us. And for the salvation that he freely and richly provided for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And this death of Jesus on the cross. The scripture tells us the death of Jesus on the cross, it has actually defeated death itself. It has actually secured freedom for us from our guilt and our shame. Do you think there might be a celebration to be had for someone who has defeated death itself? Who has defeated our guilt and our condemnation and our shame and brought us into eternal life? You better believe it. There's a celebration to be had. It's also a declaration. A declaration of Jesus' atoning and substitutionary death. 1 Corinthians 11:26 says in regards to communion, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Proclaiming. You are declaring. You're proclaiming. This is what my God has done for me. We're proclaiming to the world that the Lamb of God has offered Himself up to us for all the sins of the world. And He's coming again. So there's a proclamation for all who believe that Jesus has done something miraculous for me. And in Jesus, I found life, I found freedom, I found love. So there's celebration, declaration, and a remembrance. A remembrance. And and this sounds obvious, but there's a remembrance of God's deliverance. I find myself, I'm not so good at remembering. Anybody else struggle with that at times? And I'm a pastor. Yeah, if I'm honest, there are times when I walk through this life and And I forget. And yet Jesus knows our tendency to forget. So he commands us. He says, do this in remembrance of me. I think the fact that he commands us to remember him is really just showing us how much he loves us. Because he knows our tendencies. He knows us in our flesh. And he knows the power of us actually remembering him. And the idea of remember, it's not like, oh yeah, I remember him. Like I remember, you know, you know, all the other you know, great historical figures in my past. No, that's not remembrance. Remembrance, there's a fresh remembering. There's a fresh receiving of all that Jesus' death means for us. Not just for our past, but for today. I mean, the perfect Lamb of God has been sacrificed for my sins. As you remember that, it's powerful because it fills you up again. It fills you up again. As you receive the cup and the bread, you receive once again the strength and the sustenance and the life of Jesus. You receive the power of the blood, the forgiveness in the blood, the redemption and freedom in the blood. So it's a remembrance. Number four, it's a communion with God and with another. Well, that's really brilliant, Pastor Dan. You said that communion is a communion. Yeah, cool. Well, it's a communion with God. That makes sense. But another thing, I've talked about this before. It's a communion with others. I think it's really important that in communion, we find a supernatural communion with one another. When we receive the Lord's Supper, Supper, we recognize the Lord's presence in communion. But we also recognize His presence in each other. Isn't that the power of doing communion as a body? We have a communion that has been made possible, by the way, by the death of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why when we gather, it's different than when other organizations or social clubs get together. Have you noticed that? That when you enter this room and you gather with your friends, there's something different. 
What is the difference? Who's the difference? It starts with a J. I'm giving you lots of hints. Jesus. Absolutely. Listen to this. Paul talks about this, that we are joined together as one body, one loaf. He says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, say one loaf. We who are many are one body. Say one body. For we all share the one loaf. Communion. Communion. Not just with God, but with others. Communion. And then it's an examination. I'm going to finish with this. An examination of our hearts and our lives. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. In taking communion, this is what I want to tell you. Don't just go through the motions. Don't take it for granted and don't take it lightly. I I think as spirit-filled believers who believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and active in our lives, we need to yield to the Spirit and allow Him to examine us, to allow Him to bring up things, to convict us of sin, to allow us to hear from Him and, and to yield to Him. Because I can't be the only one, but there, man, there have been times in my life where I have been flat out just not living right. Right? I've been living a life disobedient to God. I'm not obeying the will of the Father in my life. And when I receive communion, when I know I'm not living for the things of God and I receive communion, two things happen. And it just, cause it just wrecks me. And it wrecks me for two, two reasons. One, I know that I've been wrong. You know, I know that I've been spitting on the grace of God. I know that I've just been living a life contrary to the will of God. And, and that's hard to take sometimes when you think about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And then you think about what you've done with that. But it also wrecks me because I know, number two, that God's love is still there for me. With Regardless of how I live, regardless of how I've uh, forgotten him or mistreated him or, or, or the things that I've done in my life, that he is there pursuing me with his love. In communion, I am reminded of a prodigal son story where I turn from hanging out and eating with the pigs. When I turn, that I see the father running to me. Pursuing me with his love. Has anyone else ever taken communion and allowed the Spirit to really speak those things to you? And you knew that you weren't living right for the Lord where you just begin to break. You just begin to cry. Your heart just begins to get broken before the Lord. And in those times, what I find is God, you know, I, I can just picture myself right there just crying before the Lord in communion. What have I done? I'm so ashamed, Lord. I'm so embarrassed. And in communion, I see the Lord, my God, loving me, showering me with his grace and his mercy. saying, I love you, son. I forgive you, son. I've washed you clean. You're righteous. You're holy. Remember what I've done for you. Remember my love for you. And so we allow him to examine us and we examine our hearts. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Again, Way more than a ritual. So here it is. Celebration, declaration, remembrance, communion, and examination. And we believe as a church, as we receive the bread and wine, yes, they're only a token, but when they're received in faith, real communion with the Lord is happening in experience, as well as the benefits of that communion. That's what we believe, church. Yes, it's a bread or cracker or wine or juice. But when it's received in faith, it's so much more than that. We are experiencing communion with God and communion with others. 
And so I want to give us an opportunity to do that today. I'm going to be rebellious. We're going to do communion on the second month or second Sunday of the month. I know. Don't tell my parents. Second Sunday of the month. And this is what I'm going to ask is I have some people that are going to come forward and, and you're going to receive communion from them. And go ahead, if whoever I have for this service, go ahead and come up. And I'm going to have you come down the side aisles, receive communion, and then go down the center aisle and go back to your seat. And I'm going to sing a song while, while we receive communion. But I, I want you to use this time to do some of the things that I talked about, whether it's a celebration or whether it is that declaration where you're proclaiming what your Lord has done for you. Or maybe it is just a remembrance. Or maybe you've forgotten who He is. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to be reminded that Christ in this communion hasn't just brought you into fellowship with Him, but with the person to your left and the person to your right. And that the Holy Spirit, you would allow Him to examine your heart and you would examine your own heart. And maybe there's something that you don't even know you're dealing with. You don't even know an area where maybe you're not right with the Lord and He would want to speak to you today to get you into alignment where your heart would be in alignment with His heart. So as we sing and and play this song, uh, receive communion uh, when you feel so led to do so. This is the body, and this is the blood, broken and poured out for all of us. And in this communion, we share in His love. This is the body And this is the blood And I will remember Everything, Lord That you've done for me I won't take for granted The sacrifice that set me free I hunger and thirst for your love Come fill me today This is the body Oh, this is the blood Broken and poured out for all of us and in this communion we share in his love this is the body oh this is the blood
just for your love and your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. We long for your presence here, Lord. And be with us again. This is the body. Oh, this is the blood. A broken and poured out for all of us. Thank you, Lord. And in this communion, we share in His love. And this is the body. And this is the blood. We remember you, Lord. This is the body. And this is the blood. We do not take you for granted, Lord. This is the body. And this is the blood. touched and changed our lives like you. There's none who compare to you. We were dead in our sins. Guilty. Condemned. But you, you Lord, in this new covenant, you've brought us new life. You've brought us forgiveness of sins. You've brought us freedom from our guilt and our shame. The chains have fallen off. The doors have opened wide. You have given us freedom and new life. We remember who you are, Lord. We declare that you are God. We declare that you are good. We declare that you are Savior. We declare that you're the soon and coming King. We declare you are healer. We declare you are the only one, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who was and is and is to come. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. We remember you. Jesus Christ, we remember you. We proclaim your goodness. We proclaim your faithfulness. 
We declare your grace and your mercy in our lives. We celebrate you, God. We celebrate the victory over death. We celebrate that we are no longer in bondage. We are no longer slaves, but we are free in Christ. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Thank you, Jesus, for today. Thank you, Lord. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.